There it is. First title card of the offseason. The offseason, oh my god. What is up, everybody? Welcome into the DMVR Nuggets podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Let's go to the offseason, baby. Here we are, all working remotely. Harrison Wynn went into studio today to work remotely. You got to respect it. Look at the boxes behind him. The rest of our office is not this unorganized. Like, it's, <laughs> it's not this cluttered, the rest of the DMVR offices, I swear to God. Yeah, well, um, our office is expanding very quickly. The big summer for DNVR headquarters. Very excited for it. Um, I've also been joined by Miami Vice's own Brendan Vogt. That's right. Uh, new shirt. New shirt, in case anyone was curious. Can't have enough different floral quarter button downs. I feel great. I feel great. I feel like I'm me right now. I feel like my fit reflects my personality, my mood. Uh, I'm just ready to... I'm going to change it up and talk about the Denver Nuggets today. Does that sound good? <laughs> does sound good. Also, you're always yourself, vote. You're always yourself. But it does sound like you are you are proud of the you that you have. There it is. That's what it is. Yeah, there it's it is. pride. <laughs> there you go. Guys, uh, today's actually a meat-rich edition of the uh, Casual Friday show. Um, I don't know if we actually are in the offseason just yet. I feel like the offseason, I'm told – that there will be one more exit interview with Michael Malone and as well as Calvin Booth next week. So we we will have one more of these where we're kind of, you know, new information coming to us that we can kind of chew on. But Are today, we not getting the Zeke Naji exit interview? I don't know if we're going to get – maybe they'll throw him in there. I kind of doubt what? it. Uh, I don't know if we will. I'm saving um, but, all my questions for that one. Oh, yeah. You might have to file those ones away. But we did today get to talk to Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. essentially for the first time all season. I mean, this is – it was weird talking to Jamal Murray. It was almost strange. Like, you just haven't, haven't really talked to him for a bit. I thought he was insightful. I thought Michael Porter Jr. was insightful. And then, of course, Tim Conley spoke as well uh, and provided some insight into what lies ahead for him and for this team. So we want to get into all of those things today. I Today, obviously, we started today's show, I think, at like 3.11. Um, we will find – in the coming week or two, we will find a new time uh, where we'll be consistent so you guys can set your watches and and, and kind of know when our show will be. And also hopefully let you know ahead in advance what each week is going to look like, some of the things that are coming down the pipe for us. So first, though, we talked to Jamal Murray. We talked to Michael Porter. Let's go, let's go in chronological order. Is that how you'd like to do this, Harrison? We kind of start to break this sure. down. You want to go in chronological order. The first person to speak today at Ball Arena was Michael Porter Jr., Michael Porter Jr. The biggest takeaway I had from what Michael Porter Jr. had to say was just probably when he was talking about if he could have come back during the playoffs. And what he said was, I probably could have played over the last month. I probably could have stood in the corner and shot threes. I definitely would not have been at my best, but it would not have been a good decision for my long-term health to come back that's how i'm thinking long term not short term that was probably like the most memorable thing that, or the most important thing i think he said today vote well, i mean we kind of assume this was the case i mean a lot of the stuff that was clarified today and i think it was great i tip my hat to nuggets bringing these guys out because i think had you not had we not spoken to these guys like there just was anybody that had questions got a chance to answer, ask them today, and the guys would answer them. So I think it was a good thing that we don't have to sit in this whole summer and speculate. Could Porter have played? Could this have happened? Instead, we can say, he says, I probably could have, but I wasn't at my best, and also gave perspective. And you said that was the most important thing was that he could have played. To me, adjacent to that, the most interesting thing he said was, I've been through this before, and he likened it to coming back for the NCAA tournament when he was at Mizzou right. and how he actually he feels was maybe not a boost to the team, but maybe even a distraction or a hindrance. And he drew from that experience saying it could have been like that, where if I came back, maybe it wasn't a good thing. So to me, that's the thing I could empathize with most is he went through this before and he learned from that. And it was like probably best not to this time. And tied to both of those points, we got a little more clarification on what that setback was. We knew there was one. What was the nature of it? He didn't use this word. I'm going to use this word. To me, it sounded like Porter described it as more of a scare than a setback. He, right. he was ramping up. He felt something. And he went through this process of realizing, hey, last time I came back too early. 
So I could be doing both the team and myself a disservice. And then also something that I think we're going to keep tabs on this as we follow Porter's career and talk to Porter over the years. What is his shifting perspective on the short-term versus the long-term? What does he value? And it was very clear speaking with him today that what could have been done in the short term, if it was going to jeopardize how he felt about his body and his NBA career, it just wasn't that enticing to him. And, and so he's really right. starting to think that way. It was interesting, though, that the setback he had was in March. And he said he was planning to return in March. Yep. He did not have that setback. So if you think back, I mean, if he was able to get back on the court in March, he would have had, you know, maybe like 20 games at least 10, 15 regular season games to get up to speed. It doesn't seem like it was the same case with Jamal Murray, who if he was going to return, and we'll talk about this later, would kind of would have been a last-minute thing. With Porter, you know, there's an alternate timeline here where he comes back and he's got 10 games under his belt before the playoffs start. And I think that would have been the fair thing. And, and to the point of – could he have played? I think that's what he was thinking about is if you throw him out in a low rev leverage game in the regular season where there's 10 to go, you can evaluate, okay, is this a positive? Is it a negative? How does he feel? Does he put in too much pressure? Could, is this risking something in the future? Um, but yeah, as it, as because of the setback, you get to a point where it's like, I don't know, man, especially it's not even just the playoffs where you throw him into that. If you recall, the Denver Nuggets needed every single game down the stretch. Every single game was a must win. And rolling him out against Oklahoma City or against Indiana, these games that actually ended up being close but that Denver needed, if you roll him out for one of those games and they lose and all of a sudden you're in the play-in, that reflects poorly on Michael as well. Like, it puts undue pressure on him. Um, so I think it provided that clarification of could he have played? Probably. Should he have played? To this moment, probably not. And that's yeah. ultimately where the team landed. And I was, I was nervous, guys. To be honest, there was the setback update and then nothing on Porter. Just nothing. I agree with you. This Not even little great. tidbits, you know, off the record or anything like that. Just conversation. No, there was, the comment was even worse. Michael Malone said no comment, like very like forcefully. Yeah. It wasn't even a talk around it. You know, we're going to wait and see. It was no comment. And you, the only time we got to see him, he's actively getting treated. He's hooked up right. to all these machines and stuff. It's just not looking good. And then so talking to him today. There was, I got a, I feel much better about Porter coming into next season, having the offseason he wants to have, maybe not exactly on his terms, because as he talked about, we'll get, he doesn't want to push himself too hard over the summer. But I do feel that I was really, really scared <laughs> that it was yeah. maybe worse than we thought. And like he needed another surgery or another slip disc or something. And you're like, man, I don't know. I man. mean, I think what, what this year told me is like, this is something that we're going to have to be thinking about with Michael Porter forever. Yeah. It just is, man. Yep. He's going to have this risk of another injury, the same injury, again, like starting Can I next say season. Something? Can I say something, though, Harrison? Because I agree with you 100%. The one thing I will say is I did not feel this thing this way August of 2021. I did not feel this way at the start because of the season. Because he was just coming off a totally healthy season. And, that, and that's what I'm saying is it's very easy right now to think this was the natural conclusion. And in some ways it was. I think Denver knew the risk that it could get here. Sure. But it wasn't until this last injury, this last one that happened in September or October, that I started to feel this way. Like I'd kind of not forgotten about it, but I kind of just wasn't worrying about it yeah. to the level that now I think we're always going to feel like there's this shoe that could drop at any moment with him. Um, I will say he and feels – to me, he came off as very confident that he can recover to be like he's I didn't know if he was going to talk about altering his style of play or altering this or his strategy. Like he still views himself as a guy that can grow into an all star, like, you know, a, a player that just plays and we don't think about this. So take that with what for what you will. But I saw no nothing from him today that made me think he's worried about his own future. Agreed. Agreed. Um, another, another takeaway that I had was, and look, like there's been a lot of talk this entire season about Jamal and Michael Porter coming back when they're ready and, and the organization giving them that, that freedom and that control over their injuries. When Porter and Jamal Murray talked today, like you could definitely sense that the Nuggets having that philosophy with them, like 
that earned the Nuggets a lot of points, I think, in both of their books. Like, they were really happy that Denver kind of left it up to them and put the ball in their court and was really supportive the whole time and didn't really put any pressure on them to return. Like, I think both players really liked that the Nuggets handled things the way they did. Yeah. I got Yeah, go ahead. I got that sense much more from Porter than Murray, and I don't mean to imply that I didn't get that sense from Murray, just that Porter was more effusive about it. But he right. he, he called it dope, which was a fun part <laughs> of the quote. Um, but he talked about how not every player has had that relationship with their organization. Right. You know, he's close with IT. Yes. Talking about a guy who's yes. been who's sort of has a perspective on this, being forced back, different timelines. What do you want versus what the team wants? And I thought that was I mean, I don't think Porter ever really lies through the media, but I there when he said it, I believed it. I believe right. fully that Porter Porter really appreciates the way Denver approached this. And I do think that'll that'll bear fruit. And look, that matches up with their MO, right? I mean, they have tried very hard to establish the fact that they're not trying. If you come in here and you work hard for us, we will not screw you over. And I think Porter sounded appreciative of that today. Yeah, and I, the IT thing, I, I, I was so glad he provided a specific example. Like he could have easily just said like some players or some teams force players back. I love that he used the Isaiah Thomas example because it puts you in a player's mind frame. Isaiah Thomas is the worst possible outcome for a good player. He was an MVP candidate. People don't remember this. Wasn't he like third in MVP voting? Whatever. It wasn't that long ago, man. Right. It was like four <laughs> years. It was like four yeah. or five years ago. Yeah. Like he was a top three MVP candidate. It's wild to think about that. And right when he was ready to back up the Briggs truck, that's when the whole thing went south and he never recovered from it. Like Isaiah Thomas has not made that much money in his career. Now, Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. both have guaranteed hundred million plus dollar contracts. There's a little difference there. But both guys, I think, care enough about their ability to play this or that, that like the money's great. But I think they both feel like I want to be what I think I can be in this league. And using the Isaiah Thomas thing gives puts you inside their head of like they realize nothing's promised and 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 their ability to sort of play it safe was appreciated. Yeah, I mean, it does seem like Porter's in a pretty good mental space. I just I can't even imagine what it's like to just every like maybe, you know, he's been rehabbing for a back from a back surgery this entire year. To, he's done that two times in the past. I just can't even imagine the mental toll it takes on a person, a kid who's 22 years old, to just go through that process and keep the long view. Yeah, he's rich. The money helps. He's not going to have to worry about his, his stuff financially forever if he plays it the right way. But, but still, man, like the, the mental aspect – I don't know if I'd be able to deal with it. So the fact that he seems like he's in an okay mental space, I, I think is, is good. To, is good news. Yeah. Good point. Is any other sense you walked away from either of you guys about where he's at, what he's going to be doing this summer or, you know, just any general thoughts about that kind of stuff? I did. I was kind of hoping to hear maybe more detailed answers about the off season and, and what this was like for him. I agree. And, terms of what he learned um not just from the nuggets without him but opponents in this playoff series what does he need to approach in this offseason you know we talked about that a lot last offseason and then we never even really got to see right you know, i agree yeah what growth there was i agree we were yep. jo- joking about this in ballerina you guys remember to start the year he had a couple of passes to Jokic on the short roll that made you go oh okay like maybe he's starting to put some of the stuff together beyond just putting the ball through the hoop. So that that question will be relevant again. Um, But I think he, he answers those in such general terms. I don't walk away with a great sense of, Oh, he knows particularly that he needs to get better at X, Y, Z. Right. Right. I would, I would agree that my assessment is very similar in that when we think about the return of both of these guys, Jamal and Michael Porter, are you getting back the guy that you got when they went out? Meaning, are you are you just copy and paste 2020 MPJ, put him right back on here? Or are you getting a different version? Like, not only has he rehabbed from the injury, but he's also learned the game and learned some of the challenges and added this or that to it. And he was definitely asked about it, and I don't feel like we got a great sense of 
to the extent that he feels like, no, I've got to just, I've got to yeah. come back even better than I was, or I'm going to work. I know exactly what I need to work on right, right. to adjust. I didn't come away with a positive sense of that. Yeah, I didn't either. And thinking back to last off season, just from a basketball standpoint, I mean, MPJ came in ready to go. He got the contract extension. He was working out with Steph Curry all summer. Like, yeah. He came in ready to work. And then he had the injury uh, nine games into the season. Um, but I I wonder if this offseason is just about staying healthy for the start of next season. Like, right. he really can't push himself that hard this summer, I don't think, just because he's got to be good to go when the season starts in October. And the last note on Porter, and this is something we we had heard and, and assumed all year, but he did not come into the season at 100%. He was banged up coming into the season. Sure, Didn't really – uh, elaborate on that, but he wasn't 100% coming into the season, he said. But that Rockets game, that was, you know, like obviously the, the most major injury that caused his season's end. I, I think I understood him as saying, Harrison, that there was something didn't feel quite right, but he was under the impression it might be something that might go away right. or just right. improve. And it didn't occur to him, like, okay, something's wrong here until that Houston. It was, it, he felt good enough to, to play on it. Right. And then that Houston layup, he felt it when he tried to take off, and it really occurred to him, like, yeah. okay, something's wrong here. And I think when we talk about what does he work on, I mean, even just talking about his body, like, it never came up. Because you wonder about a back injury, does that mean, like, there's muscle groups that you have to really strengthen because it's going to take the load off? Like, even that didn't really come up in I mean, any of that conversation. It doesn't mean anything. It's just I thought maybe we would get that when you're talking about what are your plans this summer. It's like, I know exactly. I got to – muscle groups I got to yeah, strengthen and – and, and another another thing I remember from last training camp, he signs the extension, he comes in, and I asked Michael Malone, like, what do you notice about Porter right now? Like, wh what looks different about him? Uh, I was thinking basketball-wise now compared to last year, and the first thing Malone said was, like, his body. Like, the guy's ripped. He's put on a lot of muscle. And when you have a back injury, you're going to lose a lot of that. So I'd have yeah. to think this summer is building up some muscle again. Yeah. And and he talked, too, about not pushing himself like you just said. But also, I thought this was really interesting. Digging deeper on the bi on his biomechanics and, and trying to get to the heart of what might be causing discomfort yeah. and not just treating discomfort as it pops up. So little things and, and how he rises up, how he takes off, yeah. all of that. I mean, who I don't know how how much work can be done in that area, but just to hear that that's where he and his team's heads at is, is kind of interesting. Um, and I wonder how much of the summer will be about getting in that lab, sort of yeah. re redefining his movements and, and all that. Porter is so interesting in that coming into this year when he was fully healthy, I didn't know what to expect of him. It was like so hard to project what would Denver be with him now as your second best player. Even then, it was hard to know. Now you take a whole nother year off. Like to me, when I think about what does Michael Porter bring to the Nuggets next season, it's still just such a mystery. Like, it is. A thousand times more so than it is with Murray. I'm just like, I don't know. Maybe Porter is a 20-point-per-game score next year. Maybe he's like a sometimes player. I don't know. The, I, it's hard for me to even project what the Nuggets are with him, and I have to imagine it's hard um, you know, for the team as well. Um, but we'll just have to wait and see. It'll be an interesting storyline to follow. I'm curious to see what areas he works on. I will say I asked him – about how you know Aaron Gordon's quote about improving the cerebral part of his game, and if if that's a goal for for him as well, for Michael as well, he did say the way you work on that playing two K. So I think he was dead serious, serious with that too. Like, I, don't, I can't. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to. I don't. It was a hilarious answer. Whether it was film came second. Film came second. So yeah, I think he did talk. He a did lot say about film. He did say film. I mean, Aaron said film as well. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, but all right, let's take our first break. On the other side, Jamal Murray, there's a lot to get into with Jamal and what he had to say. I thought his answers were even more sort of meaty. So we'll do that in segment two. Yeah, if you guys haven't been able to watch Nuggets, Abs, Rapids games this season, check out Ivanka TV. They're taking over TV here in Denver. Oh, They're yeah. probably taking over the world uh, pretty, pretty soon here. They've got Altitude. They got AT&T Sportsnet. They got other national channels. Uh, it's a totally new approach to TV programming delivery that is less expensive, easy to watch, and offers a superior picture. Now available in Denver and Colorado Springs. 
All you got to do, go to evaca.tv slash DNVR, evaca.tv slash DNVR. Use the promo code DNVR. You're going to get $10 off your first three months. That's only $15 per month, the first three months, plus a receiver, no contracts, no hidden fees, evaca.tv slash DNVR. Use promo code DNVR. Um, also, what do we got at DraftKings Sportsbook this week? Ooh. We've got the NBA playoffs. Next level basketball, get in on the first round action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 on any team to win. Get $150 in free bets instantly. You win no matter what. All DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also bet during the first round, the same game parlays as well. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code DNVR at $5 on any NBA team to win their game during the first round of the playoffs. Get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code DNVR at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only. Minimum $5 deposit restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. Let's hit a DraftKings pick of the week as well. Let's get it. What do we got? We got the Minnesota game tonight. Minnesota-Memphis. Is that the last first-round game? It is the last. After that, we're going to be locked up. So we got to make a pick there. It's in Minnesota, correct? It is in Minnesota. I kind of want to take Minnesota here. Me too. Wow. Me too. Really? Minnesota plus 100 on the money line. The further you get into a series, the more it feels like it comes down to just the, the resolve and toughness. And like, come on, man. What are you I trying to say, Adam? What are you trying to say? Here? I'm just, I don't know. I don't know. I will say, can I say one thing? So you're taking them. What, what do you get on the money line, by the way? Does it, what, what, are, the, what are the odds there? It's plus 130? Plus 100? Plus 100. DraftKings knows, man. They're smart. They know how it's going to go. Yeah, um, I will say, there. of all the great things that came out of I said this on Locked On, and I'm going to repeat myself here, but I think it's worth repeating. Um, you know, Draymond Green came out and said, some guys that you think are the guys are not the guys. It was ambiguous enough. I thought it was very clear that throughout this whole series that he has tremendous respect for Jokic. He didn't have to, to, to squint. But there were people out there that were like, he's talking about Jokic, fake MVP, this or that. When he came out after the game on the court, then in the presser, then on his podcast. And and every single time... He's probably going to Serbia this summer, man. He's, he might be going to Serbia. <laughs> when he goes off and we've heard guys say, hey, that's a tough player, that's this or that. What Draymond did was over the top. It was over the top to say like, hey, man, this guy's special. It's very clear that he is not talking about Jokic when he says the guys in the regular season are not the guys. It, if you still think that, take your blinders off. This is a guy that is giving the utmost level of respect to a competitor, to somebody. And let me, and this is what I said that I think is most important. I just wanted to say it here. So any, everybody kind of hears this guy. I think it's the most interesting thing. I believe, I believe Draymond loves the game of basketball. If you listen to his podcast, it's so clear. He's watching all of these games. He's anal, he doesn't no need to analyze the freaking Eastern conference <laughs> series. He's doing it. Cause he just loves the game. And you could tell yeah. it like, gives him energy, gives him life. Draymond got off his podcast the other day after beating the nuggets and was just like breaking down Philly toronto oh yeah <laughs> i'm telling you i know i've said this whatever i love this dude but when what in my opinion it wasn't just that he talked about Jokic. it's what he said specifically yeah draymond green is a guy who knows everything about basketball nicole Jokic is a guy that knows everything about basketball they the only things that they are learning about the game are things that they are personally discovering. Meaning like they've, they've they're read Christopher Columbus. <laughs> they're Christopher Columbus of basketball right now. They've already said they know the whole world. Now they're finding new worlds. And I think that what he was saying when he talked about, thank you for making me better. It was a, pl- a privilege and an honor to go up against you. I think what he was saying was the two of us are charting new territory in this game. And you are so good at this in the ways that I appreciate most that it forced me to discover new things. Like the two of us were discovering new limits together simultaneously. And when you love the game the way Draymond does, it is, I've said this about with with Bones and how he talked about the game has so much to offer and it's a joy to learn all these new things. I think Draymond feels the same way. And at that level that he plays at, it's rare 
that a player forces you to learn something new or is capable of making you learn something new. And I think that's the thing that he walked away with was, I love this game. And I just played against a guy that made me do things I'd never even just thought to have to do. And sometimes I, he beat me, sometimes I beat him. But in that competition, was it was the true spirit of competition when you love something as much as Draymond yeah. loves it. I don't think there's anyone else in the league Draymond could have said that about. I really don't. Because I think Yoke and Draymond are the two guys with the highest basketball IQs in the league. I think it's honestly just them two on a pedestal by themselves. Like, just looking at the West, there's nobody else he could have played and said, wow, you know, you you made me think about basketball in ways that, that I never had before. And I think when you say, like, highest basketball IQ, LeBron and Chris Paul are right there as well. The difference is they are in ways that are more traditional. Chris Paul, traditional over the last 40 years. There's always been point guards that run the show and do this or that. So when Draymond is guarding a team with Chris Paul, he is – guarding the best example of an already established philosophy. So like it's, I already know how to beat him, but I just have to do it. And it's really hard to beat him. When you go up against LeBron, it's the same thing. It's a newer mold. This is more the last 20 years in large part because LeBron invented it, you know, this winged point wing style of basketball. But like Draymond knows what it takes to beat LeBron. It's just, can you do it? So it's a level of competition. It's the same as I would imagine if he went up against Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid is a unique player but he is mostly just a dominant at what is already established about basketball. Jokic is a new paradigm. And I think yeah. that, and that's what I'm getting at is he is looking at Draymond's a new paradigm. I, it was, I think it was neat for both of them to get to go against the series unfolded in a way that nobody has ever, uh, no series has ever unfolded. And I think, I just think that's the part that was so cool about that quote. And, <laughs> and it was just so real. and so raw. And by the way, Draymond Green, Narrative setter. I honestly think him saying what he said changes the way Jokic is looked at next year. So this was all to say that he's going to say the same thing about Carl Anthony Towns, right? That's where <laughs> we were going with this? No, man. He's going to get done with that series against Carl Towns if the Timberwolves wouldn't be like, I actually think I got worse at basketball. <laughs> Everyone who watched this series is dumber. For yeah. My basketball IQ dropped after playing Carl Towns. Yeah, I, I just, I, I mean, it was so, it was in some ways almost validating, like that alone, Yoke obviously was fantastic, but, but that alone afterwards, like took so much of the sting off for me personally, but um, yeah. it, it was cool to see. Um, all right, let's move in now to Jamal Murray and what he had to say. So we, we spent the last, or a lot of the last couple months talking about a potential Jamal Murray return this season. I mean, my takeaway from listening to Jamal today is that he was not close to returning. Not even close. I agree. Um, he was asked for like a percentage on it. You know, how close are you to being the Jamal Murray that we all know and that you know? He said he's not even sure if he's 85% right now. And another takeaway from what Jamal said today is that, yes, the mental aspect is something that he was not there with. But also physically, he said like offensively, uh, physically, he felt fine. He felt like he could impact the game offensively. But defensively, just from a physical standpoint, he didn't know if he was quite there. So I don't think it was all mental that that was preventing Jamal from coming back. I think there was some physical components as well. Which can also be mental, right? Like navigating pain and soreness and all of that, which... You know, it's all tied so closely together. I agree. I don't. I don't differentiate between the two to say it was physical, not mental. I think. It, I think it, those things are the the mental part is knowing when the physical pain is a problem versus when it is something to be overcome. And again, this is not to diminish what Jamal is going through. I think it's very clear walking out of this that we still don't know what he is going through. Only he does. It's a yeah. first person sort of experience, and we all can be sort of cognizant of it. With you, the one thing I would say I think I still differentiate, like we take all the information. I think you're right that in hindsight, right now, we can step back and say he probably wasn't close. The thing I would say is we're still kind of reading between the lines. I don't think that the Nuggets or he knew he wasn't close. It was one of those things where two months ago, if you asked him, how far away are you from being 100%? Three months ago, if you would have asked him that, he might have said four weeks. Like, just because he's like, I don't know, I'm guessing about progress and I'm guessing this. Four weeks go by and you're like, I'm still dealing with it another four weeks. So I think the team, part of why they didn't rule him out, part of why things that they've handled it the way they've had is not even Jamal knew how this would go. Yeah. But now that we have the hindsight of it, him saying, I got up to about 85%, 
that's like he didn't know that either. A month ago, he didn't know where he would be. Right. And, you know, when Jamal over the last couple months was trying to come back, because he was absolutely trying to come back. Like, his goal was to play again this season. From what you hear, it's like, yeah, he has a great day. And everybody in the building thinks, yeah, he's really on the cusp of a comeback. The next day, he might not have a great day. And everybody's all right. Oh, he's probably not playing again this season. But those two things kept happening and kept happening. So, yeah, that's why they didn't rule him out because it really seemed like a day-to-day thing with them. And he did really want to come back, and he did really try to come back. Yeah, right. I think they wanted to leave that door open for him and 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 literally make you know not make it but leave it as his choice if he felt like he was making that effort. So if he comes to them and says, "Look, I've made that progress. I think I'm there." They wanted him to feel like he could. Um, I do think at least ruling him out or maybe just making him available to the media a while back could have assuaged. Is that the word I'm looking for? The situation. It just it, maybe it would all be a little less tense right now. Um, I think some of these quotes we got from Jamal are clarifying and enlightening and might help have shed light on the whole situation a while back. Um, all the same, we've got them now. So. I think if you talk to Jamal a month ago, he might have had the same exact answers as he did today. Like, I really do. Like, we could have gotten the same thing a month ago that that we did today. I do too. But I, the one thing is, is I think people are going to – the one of the complaints that I've heard people say is, why didn't the team just rule him out? Why didn't right. they just rule him out? And I honestly think it's because he wasn't ruled out by his by himself, but also by the team. And this And this is the thing. I know yeah. that's an unsatisfying answer. I think the team knew at a certain point that is highly unlikely that he would come right. back. Right. But even him talking about there were good days and bad days. And if you're a player and they're like, hey, man, are you ruling yourself out? He's probably like, I don't know. I feel really good right now. I had a hard workout yesterday and I feel great. Next day, maybe it's not so much. Maybe it's I'm trying to do this thing and I, I feel like I'm close, but I'm not. So to me, I just there always has to be someone to blame. Like, why did the Nuggets handle it this way? And I just. In hindsight, it's easy to say you could have done this, this, or this. But I sure, think in real sure. time, when you don't know how things are going to break, I just I don't know that there's anybody to be blamed right. for anything this year. I just don't think that's the case. By the way, this is not all speculation. We straight up asked him today, and he said the same thing. Right? It was it was different every day. Neither the right. team nor Jamal actually did know, and so it's not that they, they knew it was never going to happen, and they chose not to disclose that. It just. It was always up in the air, and the closer we got to higher level leverage play, I think the more muddled, muddled the equation got for Jamal himself personally. Yeah. I did ask him when he was cleared for for five-on-five five and stuff, and he said in April when the Nuggets were in L.A. I think that was April 3rd when they played the Lakers. That's super so I think late. From that, from that point on, yeah, full throttle trying to come back, but – you had three regular season games after that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, there's a good comment here from Tom Selleck. I can't believe Tom Selleck is in the chat. Wow. The Tom um, Selleck. Wow. The Tom Selleck. Was ama- and he also, I didn't know, was a, a, a rehab researcher. This is incredible, Tom Selleck. But um, what are the, he, he's talking in here about hopping, hopping strength post-ACL and this or that. And it reminded me actually of an MPJ thing where he talked about some of his biomechanics. I thought this was the most interesting thing. Where yeah, Bill brought that up a little bit. Yeah, the the biomechanics of maybe he's trying to learn how to land differently or right. run differently and and some of these things that he feels are probably leading towards the, some of the back injuries and, and and stuff like that. And I look, man, that stuff always makes you uncomfortable. Like we've know Miles Turner. Do you guys remember when Miles Turner came into the league? He ran in a way that made it so that he had like hamstrings were just were mm. unbalanced. He had too much like quad strength, not enough hamstring strength, or vice versa. There could be a, something that they discovered that with MPJ or he discovered it with his own team, and now they're trying to fix that to put less pressure. So I just thought that was a very, a very interesting comment. I'll tell you this. I've written this and reported on it a lot. That's what Will Barton did uh, last offseason? Or was it two offseasons? Yes. I, I don't even know. Two, oh, that's right. Two yeah. offseasons ago. Two this off was his good offseason. Right. Yeah. yeah. The offseason where he left the bubble. Um, yeah. Will Barton like really learned how to jump. Yeah. Like he re like programmed his body to learn how to run and jump off one foot and jump off two feet. Um, so maybe Porter's gonna do something similar. Yeah, yeah I that was to me the 
it's kind of sounds counterintuitive. The most encouraging answer that Porter. Gave, I agree, actually. Interestingly, like, yeah. It's unfortunate that we're there, but I think with regards to his injury and his career and the type of player he wants to be or can be, I think Porter's done a lot of work. I think he's been very reflective and introspective, or at least people in his inner circle are. And the end result is this approach, which I I think that's an awesome thing to hear heading into this offseason. Is there something you know, that can yeah. be done? Joel Embiid, by the way, had all those foot injuries. And one of the things they talk about is they taught him to fall. Yeah. Like he was, and I know he falls down a lot and it be, it people laugh about it or this or that, but it really is a thing where it's like, Hey man, if you're off balance, don't try to like leverage all of your 320 pound body frame on your foot. Like just go down, roll with it or whatever. And maybe as a result, he picks up a ton of fouls because he's always falling. So maybe MPJ comes back, learns how to fall and he's shooting 12 free throws a game. Oh, <laughs> uh, that would be the day. <laughs> What else, Hitwin? Drive us some more on Murray. Uh, like Porter, I got the sense that Jamal thinks he can definitely come back and, you know, be the all-star caliber player he was before the injury. He did say this, though. I feel like I'm going to come back with a slightly new style. Yes. What did you think about that? Loved it. Really interesting. Well, first of all, you, when you hear new style, you almost think like MJ in 96. Maybe I'm just the older guy, but you think about how he went from being basically Russell Westbrook to, you know, Kobe Bryant, the fall away game, the post up game, you know, a little bit lower this or that. So you automatically think less explosiveness. But I asked him if his best dunk was ahead of him or behind him. And he said, for sure, ahead of him. And he said that he is springier now than he was last year. So take that for what you will. When we talk about all the rehab, this or that, he at least thinks that his strength, he kept, he kept referencing, all I've been doing is weight training. Like, I've just been working on weight training for a year. So he feels that his athleticism won't be gone. But I do think the style part, man, I, I, I'm so excited to see, one, if it's true, and two, in what ways he feel like he has changed up his style. Yeah. Agreed. And he was also pretty cautious to say, like, look, I know these first couple games, when I do come back, are, are going to be tough. Like anybody coming off an ACL, you know, he's not going to be that Jamal Murray out of the gate. But I sense that he still has full confidence that he'll get back to that player he was before the injury. Here, here's a fun little hypothetical vote. Give me the order of introduction for the Nuggets' first home game. Oh, you – you. oh, man. From DCU, Bone Thailand. Yeah, oh, wow. he's state. number one. Is it is it more poignant if Jamal goes first or last coming off the injury? I think it is a lock that Jamal He's Murray a, is last. He last. went last before the injury. He'll go last after the injury. Yeah, you're probably but right. I think it goes Jokic one. Of course. And then, it, and then it goes Aaron Gordon two. I think it goes starting shooting guard number three. I think it goes Michael Porter four and Jamal Murray as the hammer. And I can't wait to be at Ball Arena for it. Oh god! I hope the I hope the Jokic one the show that night. I guess from the studio. (laughs) I hope the Jokic one is rushed. Starting at center, your back-to-back MVP. (laughs) (laughs) He might have to receive his MVP trophy that night, and and he'll be the first announced. And you're right; it'll just be a quick one. I've I've written. I've talked to you guys about this too, but Jokic during the pregame introductions, like. He goes to the darkest spot on the floor where, like, none of the light hits. It's just directly under yep. the basket. And he leans up against the, the stanchion and just starts clapping when they introduce his name. They, like, they can't even get a camera on him because it's in, like, such a – he stands in such a weird spot. Jamal's not going to start the first game of the season. What? <laughs> he will start the season. season. I will well, say – It say, hasn't been ruled out. It hasn't been ruled out. Oh, I will say this uh, – I asked him, and I, I'm surprised by his answer. Maybe it was a dumb question. He answered it as if it was a dumb question, but I asked if he'd be open to playing in Summer League. By the way, players who've missed a whole year have played in Summer League. Like, veteran players have come back to play one game as, like, a get some reps. He shut that down. Jamal Murray, not playing in Summer League. <laughs> he kind of laughed as he's like, I'm going to play in preseason. How about that? It's like, all right, well. Yeah. He, he, he likes getting cheeky, though. He didn't mind he the does. question. He just likes He likes to do that. I mean, look, I'm not surprised he wouldn't play in Summer League, but I wouldn't be surprised if he did. If he was like, yeah, he played the first half of Summer League and we saw Bones and Jamal for the first time together and it would be very exciting. Yeah, I mean, if he wants to get in a five-on-five rep with 
refs like in an NBA environment. He's not going to do that until preseason game number one. And I was thinking about this before he hopped on. The first game he's going to play is in October. It's a year out from the injury right now. It's going to be 18 months yeah. that he's going to go between NBA games, man. That's almost Clay Thompson territory. You know, it's less, but Clay Thompson, what was just a little over two years? Like, that's a long time. 18 months is a long time to go without playing a game. It's a really long time. Yeah. It did sound like I wanted to ask him this actually. Would he describe this time as time away from basketball? Do you know mm. what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Mentally, was he was he a holistic person? Or was he still just dialed into basketball as much as he could? You know what I mean? I, he was asked about hobbies. I mean, Mike yeah, I was going to follow up, hobbies. but there wasn't enough time. But that would have been – I'm curious yeah. if he felt mentally like he took time away from the game or if he just was near it in a different way, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, just real quickly, when he said he's his best dunk is ahead of him, his best dunk currently is on DJ Wilson. That's the best dunk he's had. He's, dunk he's, yeah, he's a had dunk. a couple, uh, couple really good ones, and he actually has a couple that compete with that. But to me, that's like one of the best dunks I've ever seen. Um, what a factor cap. His best dunks are ahead of him. Fact. Fact. I'm going to say fact. Oh, oh, let's go. Go. oh, yeah, this makes your knee stronger. Like guys come back springier. This is the thing. Oh, man. It's 2022. If you if you have a successful surgery, get over the mental hurdle. You can you can be you can Hell be yeah. every bit. This got me excited. Absolutely. Let's go. I can't wait for it. All right, let's hit our last break on the other side. Wrap up some final thoughts on Jamal and get over to Tim Conley uh and, and what he has planned for the summer. Breckenridge Brewery is the official beer of DNVR. Pick up some Breck Brew Seltzers though. Uh, tons of great flavors. The seltzers are awesome. Uh, Brett came out with them a little bit ago, so you might have had one. If you haven't, check some out. Uh, if you're in the area, stop into the DNVR bar. We've got seltzers chilling in the fridge right now, right downstairs, right here. Uh, so pop in, watch the game tonight, watch the playoffs here, even though the Nuggets aren't playing anymore. Crack open a Breck seltzer. Uh, if you're not in the area, that's all right. Check out the Breck Brew Beer Locator on their website. It will tell you where to get Breckenridge Brewery closest to you. Um, also at Lightshade Dispensary right now, you can pick up some Ripple. Uh, Ripple, if you guys didn't know, is a fast acting dissolvable, clinically proven to hit two times faster than the leading gummy. Ripple starts absorbing within 10 minutes so you can depend on a consistent experience every single time. With Ripple dissolvables, you can make anything an edible, it's flavorless, dissolvable powders. Uh, Ripple Quick Sticks are the most convenient way to get the fastest THC. Just pour it on your tongue. Uh, where can you find Ripple? Colorado's premier dispensary light chain with 11 convenient Denver Metro and Aurora locations. The Barnum location, one block off six and Federal, is now open as well. Podcast listeners, you can get 25% off non-sale items with the code DNVR. Shop online at lightchain.com or pick up at a light chain location near you. <laughs> like the dude in office space. It's so true. Milton, we we moved you to the to the basement. I'm going to the blur background. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, all right. There's a lot of weird stuff back here. Like there's probably like 15 cases of Breck brew back here. <laughs> Someone just said why do he use so many tiny moving boxes? Do you want any Ivanka, do you want any Ivanka TV hat? Oh, look at that thing. Look at that thing. Incredible. All right. Um, let's get to Tim Conley here. Uh, Harrison, where do you want to start with him? Uh, what is my first note on Tim Connolly? Here's my first note on Connolly. He, he was asked about Jokic a lot, of course. Uh, Nico Jokic already in route to Serbia, by the way. Probably be there by tonight. Um, on Jokic's Supermax, it's a pretty big priority. Um, and he says... <laughs> He says their top organizational focus is to keep Nikola Jokic in Denver for as long as he wants to play basketball. And that actually brings me to Great. a very interesting comment from TC today. Wrong agree. Tim Connolly says he talks with Nikola Jokic three to four times per year mm. about how long Nikola Jokic wants to play basketball. And Jokic tells him, quote, until it's no longer fun. Hmm. 
Mm. That's Which both encouraging and scary. Yeah, I don't know if that yeah. gives me any idea either. You know what I mean? Like, do you? What is Jokic's I mean, criteria for? I mean, that? I was thinking about this after he said that. Did Jokic have fun this season? <laughs> I've got to imagine this was Jokic's least fun season of his career, man. Oh, Tim should have never said anything. Like now, we're all gonna ask like every month. I just hope he, like, I just hope he comes fun? back next year. I just hope he comes back next year because next year's probably gonna be more fun than this year. <laughs> I think. Oh, let me say this: our perspective on these things is always so much different from the players, and like whether or not he had fun, he maybe had a blast this year. I think it's within reason that he had a great time maybe. this year. We wanted him to be second MVP. Um, sure, sure, there were lows, but um, that I'm comment- kidding. I'm kidding when I say that, but <laughs> it actually didn't seem like it was a fun year for him. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but it is an interesting point in that I think it's the best answer like we've ever heard, and I I agree. Like I don't know that Jokic is going to do what Mark Gasol did, which was bounce around to some of these unfun situations where he was a bench player and doing this. Like I'm pretty confident Jokic. I can't say for sure won't, but I would doubt Jokic has those last four years where you just kind of like go from situation to situation as a bench guy. I don't think he'll do that. Agreed. But does that mean he's going to retire at 31, 35, like 30? Any of those things to me seem possible. I do think that what it means is when we get into 2027, 28, where the Nuggets are as an organization, they're probably not going to do the, hey, we're going to take one down year, but we think we bounce back. Like Steph Curry, even, you know, Steph Curry had to go through two seasons, basically hopeless seasons, but with the promise of, hey, we're going to have a second peak later on. I do wonder if Yoke gets to be 31 years old, three years from now, if Denver's like, hey, we have another down year ahead of us, but here's the plan. We feel like then this guy comes back or we can add this week flexibility. I do wonder if that's going to be a harder sell. And maybe it makes Denver make decisions a year or two from now that don't put him in position to have a down year when he's 31, 32. It, it also makes me want to quadruple down on Jokic being a nugget for life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. Really? Lot. Like, I don't think he's ever going to be like, lot. let's start this whole process again. He's just, yeah. you know, he's going to ride this out till he doesn't want to anymore. I mean, he definitely wouldn't do the, like, Lakers thing where, like – say what you will about LeBron great player none of his teams are fun (laughs) like they're always ready to split up by the end of it because there's just a lot of pressure and media and this or that and like I don't think Yoke would go to a situation where one he's gonna have to be on the front page of you know every newspaper in America or this or that I just don't think he would do that like to me those are insanely unfun things and that factors into it by the way he said before he loves this organization like One of the takeaways that I we talked about this the other day, but him saying that how he feels about the organization should not be lost on people. No matter what the toughest critics think about the organization, the most important person to ever be a part of the organization approves, and that is like worth a hundred critics disapproving. Like everything matters, you know, like how how Jamal Murray and Michael Porter think of the team and how they handled the rehab, like how free agents think about the team, but. None of that matters in relation to what Nikola Jokic thinks of the organization and the team right. and the people here. Yeah. None of that really matters. All right, let's keep moving. Uh, so, Conley talked a little bit about the offseason. My, my takeaway is it sounds like they're definitely going to draft somebody in the first round. Uh, they, they have that, have a pick to use. It, it seems like Connolly's just psyched up for the draft, of course. He goes, I, So, you have, yeah, say the quote. If the draft was today, there's players we like. Is that the one you're talking about? No, but I was with you in that he was really selling how much he's excited about the draft. He was selling that. And the one thing I'll say is Tim Conley has to play poker. And one of the poker things is we love our draft pick. So many good players. We love it. We would never trade it because it's so valuable. And to me, I agree. Maybe he's being earnest, but maybe he's also just knows like that trip that pick needs to have maximum value so he also said generally we draft best player available yeah can you imagine if he came out and he's like man the pick there's just not any good guys like we don't it's a really unvaluable pick no hoopers hoopers no draft hoopers in the draft and i mean could we even trade it for anything probably not <laughs> um and then Conley was talking a little bit about free agency i'm sure we'll have a couple new faces that we're going to sign he said yeah what are the odds he already knows who these guys are? 100%. 100%. <laughs> I 
The NBA is so dumb. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes you really is the simple of like LeBron. Gay, come on down. Remember, remember when people start talking about LeBron going to the Lakers in like 2017? Yeah. It's like sometimes these things are known so far in advance. Yeah. Uh, he also spoke a little bit about a couple free agents that the Nuggets have on their roster. DeMarcus Cousins is one of them. Uh, he was asked. You know, what's the feeling on bringing DeMarcus Cousins back? He said Boogie was fantastic. He brought a ton. He said they'll have discussions about his future in short order. What do we think about that, guys? Uh, I, to me, both Malone's comments on Boogie and Tim Conley's comments on Boogie were noncommittal. And I don't mean that negatively as in they don't want him back. I think it, the Boogie situation is complex enough, not just from a, like, does he fit personality, but also like, does he fit on the team? Is he going to be available to us at a certain price? Like all there's so many questions around him that I don't think you can be one way or another. And so they did not say the, we have to have him back. He's a huge part of our organization. It was much more <laughs> muted, but I don't think we should read into that other than Boogie's return has a million variables to it. Yeah. I just think his return, it's, it's not a sure thing. It's not right. close to a sure thing. It, it can go either way. And but stuff just, kind of thing. Go, sorry. I was just going to say, just based on how important he was to this team this year, you would have thought maybe there would be a little bit more uh, juice to, like, put it out there that we definitely want to bring him back. Um, but there's a lot that goes with Bogey. You know, the technicals, the, the volatility. But, like, make no mistake, he was absolutely crucial. So here's the interesting on and off the court. The thing, if you're Boogie, you want you do want multiple years. Like that's you want to cash out. Yeah, Boogie Boogie has not been healthy. He has not been healthy for many years. Do like so he would be smart to say, hey, I just played really well. Um, Can I get three year deal that maybe I don't play one of those full seasons? And can Denver afford to do that? Is Demarcus Cousins a guy with his injury history that we think is going to age gracefully? Those are big. Those are big time tough questions. Um, and there's nothing less tradable than a player with a history of maybe being a tough person, locker room person, even if that hasn't been the case in Denver, even if he's matured, those things still can follow you. Well, I mean, we saw Austin Rivers, a really good player. He was uh, on waiver wire and Denver picked him up. It's just because sometimes reputation follows you. So can you trade that guy? And then if he misses 40 games, can you trade that guy? Uh, He's just multiple years on him carries any more risk than almost any other player. And why make your mind up on it early when there's yeah. time to see how the offseason picture shakes out? There yeah. might be other guys that make sense on one-year deals and all that kind yeah. of stuff. So. It was just notable because I feel like usually Tim is very much – he very much takes the position after the season of, oh, we want to bring back as many guys as we can. Like that's usually his go-to after the season. We have, we got a lot of free agents. We want to you know bring back as many as we can. He definitely did not say that today. I got that sense too. The, the last question I asked him – was about did you guys feel like you learned anything looking at this team without that talent? You know, were you able to sort of take a different perspective on the group? And his answer, while he didn't necessarily get into specifics, I did get the sense that there was a lot of like, here's where I could have been better. Like, I didn't think I did, you know, there there are little ways that I need to get better and it has nothing to do with the injuries. And that's been a talking point with this fan base, with us in the final month, the moves on the margins. I do get the sense that they look at the group they rolled out last year and thought, all right, there are ways that we can and should improve that group beyond just bringing Jamal and Michael back. Yeah. yeah. Uh, another free agent, Davon Reed. Tim, I feel like made it sound like he's in the plans for next year. And then I'm just not converting him. He pretty much said it came down to the fact that they just didn't want to cut another player. Yeah. Um, so, which is what I believe too. Dry like- there. Vlatko would have, or I'm sorry, Davon maybe would have made a, a different. When you talk about the last three games being as close you, as they were, yeah, we maybe, talked about this before the series, man. But after watching this series, he definitely would have made an impact. He definitely would have. And maybe would Denver have won the series? That's a, that's hard. That's like a real hard thing to sell to anyone. That yeah, Denver that lost in five would have won actually had they had him. Right. But right. I think definitely I think he would have played. He just would have played. Absolutely. And, and but the thing is, we speculated and Tim all but confirmed today that there is the goodwill that you have on the front end and the goodwill that you have on the back end. And Denver's decision not to sign him had more to do with paying the goodwill on the back end of 
Faku Campazo and Blacko Chanchar, and that Davon Reed himself maybe even understands that. I mean, Davon has been very appreciative of the Nuggets organization, so I think I feel like there's goodwill there, and maybe the message has been reiterated to him or even expressed directly to him of like us not putting you on the roster and converting you right away is actually a nod to you that you should know that when we do sign you this summer, we're going to treat you appropriately. Yeah. So. Uh, another note I have from Tim here, he was talking about going back to last summer, the decision to sign Michael Porter Jr. When he did, like obviously they could have waited a year and let him get to restricted free agency. I'll just read a part of his quote here. Actually, I'll probably just read the whole thing. Um, Tim said, Oftentimes, the best indicator of future health is current health. Unfortunately, he had the injuries he dealt with this year. The previous couple of years going into the contract negotiations, we felt pretty good about it. Certainly, his numbers were reflective of a guy that you're going to have to give a lot of money to. Hindsight is 2020. I think we looked as much as we can, and we tend to be a team that rewards guys earlier instead of them getting to the marketplace. We're looking forward to him being fully healthy. And I know he's working his butt off to achieve that goal. Um, that's good stuff. I saw, I've mentioned this before. Shrey right here says, I think Dozier is a must sign. People just have to remember Dozier's <laughs> probably not playing basketball until January or February next year. That's just the harsh reality of this is his injury was even worse than Jamal's. He has a longer knee injury history than Jamal had. And he got hurt in, I think December. So you just look at that and say, well, with Jamal 12, 13 months later, still not playing. PJ Dozier is probably at least that long. So you're talking about January, February. I, so must sign. I just don't, I, I strong disagree with, I love PJ Dozier. I hope he's back around Denver at some point, but next year, I just have such a hard time picturing him playing for a contender next year. And rewarding early is their MO. You know, we talked about how he got hurt, but Porter put work in this offseason. like that. He cares about basketball and tries to get better, not in doubt. And, you know, I feel like this was a guy that they felt like was putting his hard hat up on and, and hey, I want to get better. I want to help this team win a title. They wanted to reward that process. Porter talked about that again today, too. He did say at one point, I realize people have made a great investment in me and right. I want, oh, to, I agree. I want that to pay that back. I I, I want, you know, <laughs> he, he wants to reward that essentially. Yeah. So I don't, I don't, these little things like you compare the early contracts, you know, to the Gordon Hayward situation, it can sound like small and meaningless little excuses. You know, it can start to add up, but like hearing Porter talk today, I think that's a real thing. You know, I, I think it's going to pay off that, that they paid him early, that they believed in him, that he wants to pay that off and, and show them that he was worth it. I, when you're an org like Denver, it's rare this talent gets to you and you have to do everything you can to keep them, keep them happy and keep them motivated and I think it was all a part of that philosophy. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I will say, I think about this a lot. When Porter was drafted and he put the hat on and he was sitting there, I can't even remember who it was that was interviewing him. The first thing he said as a Denver Nugget was, I want to make this the best pick that organization has ever made. And I think about that so often. And no It's going to be tough to do, though. Actually. It is tough because Jokic was a 41st pick, worked out really well. <laughs> I think that's going to be a really, really tough sell yeah. for Michael Porter. But, but hey, hey, you know what? Win a championship and, and we can just say it was, you know, whatever. But I think about it all the time in that right now, there is a risk that it's the worst pick Denver's ever made. <laughs> it's like, and I don't mean this to him, but like he's got five-year deal and if he can't play or if he doesn't pan out, like that's a real, it actually ends up being a curse. It's franchise crippling. A fr franchise crippling. So I think about it a lot. And him saying what he said today reminded me of that. His like, right. I, I, I am aware that people have made big time decisions in support of me. And I owe it to them to make those pay off. And to me, it was probably the most mature and encouraging. And also just like, you know, I appreciated that comment from him, to be yes. honest. And, yeah. and, and I thought that was really good. All right. Uh, that wraps it up for today's show and this week's show, guys. Uh, we will be back next week. Keep your eyes peeled. Uh, I also want to say, coming up here in just one hour's time, we are going to be having the uh, our live draft coverage. Every year for the draft, NFL and NBA, to a lesser extent, hockey and baseball, because their drafts are a little bit different, we go all out. We have big-time guests on. We're, we're covering it from a Denver Broncos perspective. We also obviously have the Bears show. We have the, the PHNX show. 
Um, so if you are into the NFL and into the NFL draft today uh, for, for the Broncos, check out the DNVR uh, NFL draft show. It's going to be fantastic. We put so much work into it across the network, across the company, and that's going to be great. Also, as Miroslav, the homie Miroslav is saying, Serbian Corner tomorrow at noon. Always a good show. Always some great insight. Um, and those guys will be coming to you tomorrow at, at noon. So everybody hit that like button on the way out. Oh, crap. I forgot. I have to do this. Um, how do I get... It's like this is our first show or something. Man, I'm never having to be the one that pushes all the buttons, dude.